today's podcast is brought to you by Citizen Path. It's a new way to prepare U.S. immigration forms. It's an online service that makes it easy to prepare and file USCIS applications and petitions. Believe me, as a nationalized citizen, I know the hassle. Citizen Path gives you instant alerts if there's a problem. The service even provides a guarantee. Yes, a guarantee that USCIS will approve the form. Citizen Path was designed by immigration attorneys, but it's significantly less expensive than an attorney. And here's the fun part. Immigrantly listeners can use coupon code immigrantly to save 15%. You can visit their website at citizenpath.com. I was cast in a show where I was requested to wear hijab. And I asked wardrobe, I said, okay, well, where are these women traditionally from? Where are they supposed to be from in, in this scene? They said, we don't know. Can you just make them look Muslim? You know, it dawned on me that the roles that I could take or the roles that I felt comfortable taking are just so few and far between that I would love if there was somebody who just understood my hesitations. It just got me fired up and I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this. And we launched as the first Muslim casting agency. I think we need positive portrayals, but also we need just three-dimensional portrayals. Taking characters and just making them whole. I feel like there should be a bingo card for Muslim portrayals in the Western media. Is the character a terrorist? The prisoner we snatched last night is a courier for Imam Yassid Khalil. The prisoner gave a go order for an attack on an American target in the UK. It's thought to be biological. If a female character is wearing a hijab, does her storyline revolve around whether she is or isn't oppressed? It's the story of a poor boy from the streets and a beautiful girl from a palace. Princess Jasmine. They were two very different people. The law says you must be married to a prince. Are the spiritual practices presented as rigid, even primitive at times? You have 10 seconds, Mr. Lockhart. He's going to cut her head off, for Christ's sake. Check, check, check. Bingo. But actually, I feel like that started to change significantly over the last couple of years with shows like Rami. It's been a weird year. I really want to do it the right way, man. I'm not going to look at porn, nothing. I just want to commit. No porn. This guy says no porn. It's going to be tough. No way. And Muslim characters in shows like Superstore and The Bold Type, we are starting to see more authentic nuanced portrayals of Muslim characters. Shout out to all the awesome Muslim creators who have contributed to making this happen. Our guest today is one of those awesome people. Serena Rasool is a writer, actress and founder of Muslim American Casting who, in their own words, are creating spaces and adding new faces. 
kudos to that. Serena has made appearances in House of Cards, Weep, and America's Hidden Stories. I got to pick her brain on what makes representation truly authentic. You're listening to Immigrantly, and I am your host, Sadia Khan. Welcome to Immigrantly. I am extremely honored and excited to have you here. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me, Sadia. Doing well. So, Serena, to start off things, I want to talk a little bit about your work. Now, you're an actor, a writer. You've explored different dimensions of creative art form and you worked in different capacities within the film and TV ecosystems. What are some of the challenges you faced as a Muslim actor or even a writer? Oh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've always, always wanted to be a creative. Um, as a child, I would entertain my family with funny accents and anecdotes and they loved hearing those funny interactions mm -hmm. but just never felt like it was an industry that I could actually pursue yeah. it's funny because the east or where we traditionally come from um the arts are such a loved segment of our society and I grew up on Egyptian films and music and uh, Bollywood films and mm -hmm. music and it's just such a pivotal part of the culture. But when it comes to being a part of the Hollywood narrative per se, mm. I think Muslims uh, in particular have kind of felt it wasn't really a space for us. And, um, you know, there's many, many reasons for that. But it's not just a recent phenomenon. It's It actually dates back to 100 years right. of misrepresentation in, in the space. What kind of roles were you getting initially and how did you navigate that space? So, you know, I think I personally tried to stay away from um, the stereotypical role. So I wouldn't even apply for the, the roles that required you to be the submissive woman that doesn't have a voice and that doesn't have a character. Uh, so I generally just I was always turned off by those roles. And, and it's funny because if you look at how women were portrayed throughout time, it's this extreme exoticization right. of the woman that, you know, generally comes from the East, quote unquote. Mm. And then it turned, especially when it comes to Muslim women, it turned from this exoticization, fetishism of the Muslim woman to then a completely covered and completely voiceless woman who was the submissive wife or wife of the terrorist or, you know, just we really haven't had the opportunity or ability to be portrayed or humanized as just a regular individual. So Serena, when it comes to Muslim representation, especially Muslim women, what are some of the nuances of experiences that you would like to see portrayed on the big screen? Oh, so many. You know, um, I would love to see women that, especially Muslim women that are just living their day-to-day -day lives. And we don't have to be hyper-sexualized and we don't hmm. have to be fetishized and don't have to be the characters that are coming up now that we're starting to see. They are 
women, there are Muslim women that have a little bit more like a dynamic element to their character, Hmm. but for some reason, they're always portrayed as rebellious or rebelling against their culture or rebelling against their religion. And so you can see that over and over again, where they'll put in a woman who happens to wear hijab. And then, you know, in a couple scenes, she tears it off. She rips it off. Yes. Um, (laughs) And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm sure it does. But what I'm saying is, why do we have to constantly either portray the woman in opposition to who she is uh, or who she may be or what she may believe? And instead, I'd love to see a woman that, you know, is playing a full three-dimensional character Mm. and just so happens to be Muslim, right? Just so happens that she might wear hijab or she might not. It just so happens that she has this culture and this way of life that she believes in. She doesn't necessarily have to embrace everything about it because who does, but who uh, is not always rebelling against the machine into these like Western paradigms of, of oppression, right? Why do you think we see so much of that? Why do you think that we constantly regurgitate the same white savior narratives in American mainstream media? Well, I mean, to be honest, it's the buyers and the writers, right? So whoever's writing the characters, especially, you know, what you see um, on in the mainstream, traditionally has been from one demographic who has been exposed to one particular paradigm of what a, a Muslim or a Muslim woman or a Middle Eastern or South Asian, um, you name it. And it's not just for us. It's for every underrepresented community, right? Black women, Asian women, uh, and, and not just women. I mean, across the board, when you only have one particular demographic that's writing these characters, you're only going to get a very superficial view, right? And a, a stereotypical view because the community is not writing those characters. And the shows that are developed and produced are not bought by members of that community. That's a great point. But going back to what you just said, I want to add another dimension to this. Do you think, given that we exist in a capitalist society, uh, there is this perception that nuanced experiences don't sell And we may have to make a business case for why different stories with nuanced characters and not just one-dimensional, stereotypical, whitewashed stories can sell. Do you feel like we are getting pushback because of what the perception is? There was a study recently um, that was conducted and it came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, I believe, and they found that Hollywood was losing ten billion hmm. billion with a B hmm. a year over lack of particularly black representation. And and I use that as an example. It was a McKenzie report, hmm. and I use that as an example because when you overlook communities, you are, you know, and and I hate to frame it in that capitalistic um, framework, right? Because I, I believe in just telling good stories. I don't care if it makes you money or not. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. My heart of hearts is just telling a really great story and telling, uh, humanizing people. But if we're going to put it in that framing, Hollywood is actually losing money by not 
tapping into these these markets and these communities. Um, and and this is just one study. And I'm sure if we did studies on other communities, we would find something similar. When it comes to accurate representation in the arts, I think it goes beyond people. I also think of food. Um, I think <laughs> about, you know, I think about all the scenes that happen at the dinner table or restaurants. I feel like those are golden opportunities to give people insight into what is the real cuisine of a specific culture. What are some mm-hmm. foods you would love to see represented on the big screen? And how else do you mm-hmm. think food can portray cultural dynamics in entertainment? Oh, that's a really good question. In any societies that are um, not individualistic, so societies that are communal hmm. um, in nature, tend to have or revolve around the dinner table, right? They revolve around um, this idea of food and togetherness. And I think that that actually really goes back to agrarian, I believe that's the right term, um, to our agrarian kind of roots hmm. um, and having to rely on the family unit to to feed each other and yeah. to feed themselves. Um, and, you know, over time, we're at this point where it's so central to a lot of our events, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm originally Palestinian, and it's it's really fascinating that you ask that question because a lot of the foods that I now see that come from our region yeah. are now taken and westernized. Um, and so you can now go to a supermarket and you can see hummus in any variety, right? <laughs> like any any kind of hummus you want, you can buy, and right. it's kind of shocking and jarring to see that. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, on one hand, you're like, okay, like, I'm glad people are opening up their palates. But on the other hand, Uh. you're like, whoa, do I really need chocolate hummus? Really? (laughs) (laughs) You know, we love we love kanafa, which is a traditional cheese based dessert um, that's traditional to our region. You know, it's funny because I personally, I also love um, foods from from different regions. And I love like Ras Malai, for example. Right. And I saw like a, a westernized version, sorry, of Ras Malai, like uh, Ras Malai um, cheesecake or something. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really, really fascinating. So I would love to see just the traditional version of those foods yeah. and not like these overly you know, a, a westernized versions of the food. So I feel like wine and alcohol are such an integral part of storytelling in Hollywood, right? If you are sad or angry, happy, celebrating, you have wine. Um, and people congregate in bars. We see that a lot on TV and in film. Now, I don't drink wine and just an FII, there are Muslims who do, but I feel left out watching those scenes and I'm like, ah, I don't drink, so I can't relate to that depiction. And I always wonder if there could be another connector, such as food, maybe tea, juice, who knows, right? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I still see it a lot Hmm. being portrayed, but... um... 
I think, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of room to explore or introduce different foods. And I, I think, uh, and different drinks and different, um, desserts. And I think that there've been a lot of cooking shows that have made efforts to introduce those foods, uh, which is really great. And then you, you see that also on like some of these shows that do portray diverse communities, you do start to see some of the different foods introduced. So, you know, I think there's a lot of work that could be done to go, to yeah. go away from the constant portrayal of wine or alcohol. And it's especially um, a lot of the shows in the West, it seems to be a, you know, that's how people come together um, is, you know, in a bar, a lot of scenes are in bars yeah. and they, it seems to be what, allows people to to come together. But I think um, as we tell more stories, we'll start to see that uh, people come together in different ways. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily need to be around vices, right? Like I don't, I'm not saying for anyone to go film a show about a hookah bar because I don't want to see that either. Yeah, but I would be fine with that because I've been to hookah bars, right? So it's, right. it's so interesting how we all have our comfortable vices, right? I am comfortable mm-hmm. with um, going to a hookah bar versus drinking alcohol. Other people may be uncomfortable with both. Some Muslims will be comfortable with drinking alcohol, but they may not want to smoke. So it's so interesting how human experiences are so diverse. And that is such an important notion to carry forward because we are not a monolith. None of us are, right? right? Our experiences are different, even within our families. Like my mother's side of the family drinks alcohol. My father's side of the family doesn't. I hope that those stories are brought to fore where you're seeing same family members doing different things. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And just to clarify the hookah bar thing, um, you can 100% film in one of those. I just don't think we should tokenize it and say, well, all, you know, Muslims or Arabs or Middle Easterners, they smoke hookah, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens? Backstep blue glasses are not your average frames. These blue light lenses filter 80% of the highest energy blue light, eliminating 99% of glare. The past year, we've all been glued to our devices more than ever. As a podcaster, I spent a lot of time working on my laptop from timestamping, recording, pre-post-production work to social media campaigns. Our exposure to digital light has soared and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. And I can vouch for that. Baxter Blue is also a force for good and provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. Isn't that wonderful? This is eyewear built for our digital age and Baxter Blue is giving our listeners, immigrantly listeners, 10% off your next purchase of blue light, sleep or kids glasses. Click the link in our show notes for your exclusive discount. This is the sign you have been waiting for to invest in blue light glasses. We know you will love your Baxters and we know that you will feel the difference.
Serena, let's talk about your casting agency. Now, this is the first and probably the only Muslim casting agency in the U.S. And I wanted to know what was your motivation behind starting it. Now, I kind of know the answer to that, but I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it from you. I was cast in a show where I was requested to wear hijab. I was cast as a woman that wears hijab hmm. in the, in a particular scene. And it was a very benign scene. It wasn't, you know, a stereotypical scene. It was a, a prayer breakfast scene. Um, so I showed up to set hmm. and there were no hijabs. The wardrobe department um, had no scarves. And I wasn't the only one that was cast. There were two other women as well. Hmm. And so I... I ran out to my car and just to see what I had. And luckily I had some scarves and uh, I came back to set and I asked wardrobe. I said, okay, well, where are these women traditionally from? Where are they supposed to be from in in this scene? Because depending on where they're from, they might wear their hijab differently. So someone, a woman who is from Turkey versus the Gulf versus an American uh, Muslim versus, you know, a a South Asian Muslim, Pakistani Muslim, is it's all going to be different. So where traditionally are they supposed to be from in this scene? And this is not to slight the wardrobe department, but they said, we don't know. Can you just make them look Muslim? And, you know, kind of, I I was kind of taken aback. So I had two feelings. I was prideful that, yes, sure, I can do this. But then on the other side, I was kind of shocked, right? Like, really? You want me (laughs) to do this? (laughs) Um, Yeah, you should represent 1.2 billion Muslims. Uh, I'm sure like 50% population of that is women. So why not, right? (laughs) No pressure, no pressure. (laughs) So then I decided, um, all right, I'm going to do this. I I dressed them uh, to the best of my ability. Um, And then we went, we filmed and left the set. And that sat with me for a couple of years, actually. And um, you know, 2020 was a creative awakening Mm. for a lot of creatives in the space. And I, you know, it dawned on me that the roles that I could take or the roles that I felt comfortable taking are just so few and far between that I would love if there was somebody who just understood my hesitations and I didn't find it, I didn't see it. And I started speaking to different um, folks from the community, from the Muslim community that have been working in the space. And they told me there was no one working on Muslim talent, right? There was no one in the talent space and advised me to, to go ahead uh, that we needed. And so it just got me fired up and I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this and it took several months of planning, but we were able to launch officially uh, January 21st, 2021. That was the day that the Muslim ban was repealed mm. officially. Uh, the executive order was signed and we launched as the first Muslim casting agency and we are building a very diverse database. And so anyone that wants to be a part of that database can visit our website, muslimamericancasting.com hmm. and uh, click on talent and they can put themselves, they can add themselves into the talent database. They can also follow us on Twitter at Muslim Casting or on uh, Instagram at Muslim Casting as well. Now, from everything that we've seen in entertainment for the past 
like few years which show or movie do you think got it right with diverse representation and why so there have been many attempts at diversifying uh different casts and you know no no show ever gets it exactly right and i think i want to actually caution fellow creators uh and talent and 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 just critics no one is ever going to get it 100% right mm. so we have to accept that you know there will be flaws in any creation right right because not everything will resonate with everyone but um there are some shows that have made an attempt and for example one of the broadcast shows what broadcast network shows that attempted to uh, diversify was is a show called Superstore um, yeah. And they really tried to bring in a diverse cast. Mm. You know, there were a few things that they didn't get 100% right. And and I think it's great to have a starting point and then to learn from those mistakes and learn from where you can actually improve, right? Mm. Um, one of the characters um, is a man who's in a wheelchair, but the actor is not someone that actually uses a wheelchair in uh, real life, right? Mm. So it would be great to actually cast um, characters or cast talent from those respective communities as well. I wanted to get your take on a new show that it mm-hmm. lost Thursday on CBS. The whole time I served in Afghanistan, Al was my interpreter. Hey, hey welcome! Let me get you a beer. Dad, no alcohol. Right. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, your son should be sorry for talking to you with that tone of voice. I like him. I stopped watching network TV, I don't know how long ago, but mm-hmm. I was curious to watch this one. I wanted to, given the storyline and the content, and I watched it and... I formed an opinion which I don't want to share with you. <laughs> Before that, I want to get your take on it. Have you seen it and what are your thoughts? So I believe I know what show you're talking about. Yes, the United <laughs> States of Al. <laughs> right. So I've seen the trailer mm-hmm. and I've also have been monitoring the um the conversations around the show. Okay. Uh on Twitter and the producers and some of the critics as well. And, um, you know, before I formulated my own thoughts on it, I really wanted to get inside some of the creators' heads and the writers' heads and and, and even the critics to see um, why the show was picked up, why it was created, hmm. the story that they wanted to tell. We frequently overlook uh, how war impacts the communities that it has been brought to. And so, you know, whether that's the Afghan case or the Iraqi case, um, you know, Iraq suffered very gravely and so so did Afghanistan and Pakistan and and several other Mm. um, uh, communities in the region. And so to actually humanize those individuals and bring those stories to light is also very, very important because frequently we see these horrific images on the news and then we the next day there's another news story and 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 what the american public is left with are these um these images these exaggerated images where we only see you know the destruction of of the community and we don't see the rebuilding we don't see the resilience we don't see right. you know what has to happen for those communities to recover but from what you've read and the research that you've done so far do you think 
that United States of Al is going to delve into deeper issues or more nuanced issues. Right. So, you know, what I have read is that they were planning on doing that. But again, for me, you know, just to be honest, it's it's the overall framing that is problematic. Um, so, you know, when you bring in this brown character to be this... Uh, <laughs> you know, some people were framing it as, as this magician or this magical entity that's going to just resolve, you know, that's going to resolve, um, you know, the issues of, of the white family. Um, you're still tokenizing the individual, right? Ah. You're still tokenizing the culture and parting an Orientalist view onto the, the character. So whether they take Al and develop him further, uh, or sorry, I think they shortened the name. I think it's something else, but I think it's Aval Mir, if I'm not butchering the name. Um, mm-hmm. I may have to check it again, but you're right. They shortened it. And that in and of itself, right? Yes. Is, is problematic. <laughs> <laughs> so t- taking the name and shortening it is something that forces assimilation, you know, as, as a child of immigrants, um, I had, I saw that personally, right? Like my uh-huh. own parents have to go by Jenny and Ralph and that's the furthest from their names <laughs> as possibly imaginable. <laughs> and so, you know, as immigrants, we kind of take this, or children of immigrants, we bear this burden of having to um, make our us, our lives, and who we are, our identity accessible. Right. Um, and uh, you know, that's that that's a whole other conversation that we can have. I also wanted to get your take on something else. Now, there's always this tension between whether we want visibility, which is regulated, or do we want representation that is honest and nuanced, but may not come by as often. So there's definitely two camps, right? There are people that want to just be included in any way possible. Right. And, you know, they see that as an entry point because once we become part of the narrative, then it'll become easier to develop our characters from there. Uh, so I see I see that side. And then there's the other side of we want to just portray ourselves in a positive light. Not just positive. I think when we talk about nuanced experiences. I honestly don't think that Muslims have ever been portrayed in a positive light, at least in the Mm -hmm. US mainstream media, right? That's not something that we've experienced. We've mostly been either tokenized or dehumanized in a way which is more true to who we are, Mm -hmm. rather than, as you said, caricatures of human experiences. That's key, right? Like, I think we need, yes, we need positive portrayals, but also we need just three-dimensional portrayals. And I, and, I, and I keep saying that because nobody is perfect. I don't care what your faith is. I don't care what your race, your religion, your creed, your language. I don't <laughs> care what it is. You are innately flawed, right? So um, 
to show any underrepresented community or any community in a just a positive light is doing a disservice actually to that community. Um, you're, you're actually, you're tokenizing that community in a, in a way that's not authentic. And the goal should always be authenticity. Mm. And what comes with authenticity is the two sides of good and bad. (laughs) So you can have a character that's largely good, but has vices and that's okay. And then you can have a character that's, that is largely, um, bad and, and, but has, a good nature, but has been dealt really bad cards uh, in life. And so their actions, whether they're right or wrong, are, are then portray what they've uh, they've experienced. And so the goal should always be authenticity. And when you're portraying Muslim characters, you know, we don't, it doesn't have to be these perfect, perfectly wrapped with a bow on top character. No. And I think, you know, we're starting to see some of that you know, unravel. There's, there's another show, I think out of the UK called my lady parts, I believe, or lady parts. Um, and it follows for uh, Muslim girls who develop a punk rock band, right They're They want to be a punk rock band. And it's, it's, it's got some stereotypical elements to it. If you watch the trailer, the opening trailer, um, But what's great about it is they show these women, these four young women, as just full characters, right? They're they're flawed and they're insecure and they're they're just angsty and eager and they are rebelling, but they're also trying to adhere to their they're so proud of their culture. And so, and that's really what we need. We just need, and I'm not saying that the, that that's the perfect example because it's still flawed in its own way, but taking characters and just making them whole. Just making them human. In the end, I asked my guests this question. Uh, if you were to describe America in a word or mm-hmm. a sentence, how would you do that? Oh, boy. That <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, complex. Hmm. I don't know if, every, if everybody says that. Every guest, almost every guest comes up with a different idea of what America is. And that's what I love about this question. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, it is just, once we, it's funny, the poet Amanda, I believe was her name, that spoke at the inauguration, she said it perfectly. She said that we're not complete. We're not a complete nation. We're still you know, we talk about America as if it's complete in its evolution, and it's not. It's still being built. It's still new. It's still evolving. Um, and so that's going to come with so many complexities, and it's going to come with so many antagonists and protagonists. And just the when a story, it's like we're in the middle of the novel. We haven't gotten to the second half. Um, and so if you any novel that you read... And you you just turn to the middle of the book and and you try to figure out where that book is, you're never gonna really understand the end because you're still in the middle. So I I guess that's maybe the best way to put it. <laughs> Thank you, Serena. This was so good. And keep doing what you are doing. You're changing narratives, you're creating space for underrepresented communities. And we are all so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
Thank you for staying with us until the end and listening to yet another incredible story. Don't forget to check Serena's casting agency. And if you haven't subscribed to our Patreon, come on, y'all, you have to help us out here. So check it out. The link is available on social media. It's on our website. Until next time, when we have another amazing story. Take care. Oh,